on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we are joined by Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, the representative for the 1st Hampshire District, who is going to be with us in studio today, but had a uh, an event that interfered with her joining us in the studio. So we're so pleased we can have her with us on Skype. Why don't you share with our listeners uh, what was the interference? Physics. 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 <laughs> and before anyone thinks that involves like a car accident, no, no, it does not. It actually involved physics test prep. Um, my daughter, who is now a junior, has decided to take AP physics. And there was some uh, moments this morning that were a little tense as we tried to figure out the velocity at which a ruler falls if you know the displacement and that it is falling at an inconstant speed. So anyone who understands any of that should feel free to email me because I have no idea what we were talking about. Um, I, 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 I emailed. I, I sent you a helpful suggestion, didn't I? You, you were very helpful. Would you like to share the help that you provided this morning? Sure. I, I texted or emailed the Representative Sabadosa and said, as a liberal arts major, I'd like to contribute my thoughts about how the ruler feels. <laughs> and, and I say that Vladimir Putin is a ruler who is felt falling at an inconstant rate. There we go. None of which will help on <laughs> but um, but I appreciate the ability to come on via Skype. And the next the next question the next question on, next question on the test was and how helpful were your mother's <laughs> friends? <laughs> yes, um, I, I did say as she was leaving for school. We will find a physics tutor. <laughs> Representative Sabadosa, I'd like to turn to the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette. I suppose that for our listeners who, who say we know the, that Lindsay Sabato is a representative and we have heard about the 1st Hampshire District, but let's just do a quick review. What are the towns and municipalities that you represent? What is the 1st Hampshire District? So the 1st Hampshire District is the city of Northampton and the towns of Chesterfield, Cummington, Goshen, Hatfield, Plainfield, West Hampton, Williamsburg, and Worthington. Thank you. Front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, Dateline, Massachusetts. Bots with weapons face ban under bill. Sabadosa measure reflects industry concerns over semi-autonomous devices and drones. This by Scott Mertzbach, the staff writer, a staff writer with the Daily Hampshire Gazette. I'm going to read a couple sentences. In videos shared over social media platforms, a robot dog with an attached machine gun illustrates the ease some people could have weaponizing this advanced technology, bringing new dangers to the public from drones and various robotic devices. And then, this is an actual physical newspaper for those who are not familiar with that. Uh, but you are on the radio, so people cannot see it, although they can hear it. <laughs> there we go. Two more sentences from this. Understanding the need to protect the public while bringing stability and predictability to the market, State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, Democrat of Northampton, joined with State Senator Michael Moore, Democrat of Millbury, Democrat of Millbury to file legislation this week that prohibits the manufacture, sale, and operation of robotic devices. 
mounted with a weapon. The bill titled An Act to Ensure the Responsible Use of Advanced Robotic Technologies could be the first of its kind put into law in the United States and is supported by leaders in the robotics industry, interesting, and civil rights organizations, including the ACLU of Massachusetts. The article goes on to point out that the proposed legislation has three parts. Representative Sabadosa, tell us more about the bill. Tell us what its component parts are and why they matter. Sure. Well, I just, uh, I'd love to start off with a little bit of background. Um, for those wondering, I am not a robotics expert, but uh, Boston Dynamic, which is a, a company um, located here in Massachusetts, reached out several months ago because they were, I think, like anyone who saw the videos of robotic dogs with machine guns attached to them, really concerned. Boston Dynamics is a company that was founded um, by an MIT grad uh, back in the 70s, and they make robots. And one of the things that they make is a dog that's called Spot. Uh, Spot is used in, in a variety of settings, but a part of the reason for these robots is that they can withstand, they can basically withstand situations that humans can't. So they can work in areas where there might be really high pressure or there might be a risk of fire. Um, they are used, they are used by law enforcement. And I, I got to see a demonstration at Logan Airport where uh, there was, uh, you know, the police set up a parcel where there could potentially be an explosive and they use the dog to go over and to take pictures and to analyze what's in the package rather than Know, sending an officer over who, who could then be harmed. Um, so there's multiple uses for these robots. Um, but so so let's stop there. Let's stop there for yeah. one second. So the sure. robotics themselves you see as having a beneficial and helpful societal use. That's the starting place. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, we people get, the media has definitely fed us a lot of images of robots. So I just want to make sure we're kind of setting what these are, right? These are not like Terminator style human robots. These are not, you know, people who are going, they don't look like people, they look like dogs. And, um, and they're doing things that are dangerous and difficult and that humans probably shouldn't be doing. And the dog is named Spot, as in the, Spot. Ki the kid's book, Where's Spot? Okay. Yes, nice, gentle, robotic dog. Got it. Um, at They're least... very cute dogs, actually. If you if you visit Boston Dynamic, the dogs are wandering all over. They're part of what they do is they try to get the dogs to break because they want to figure out how you fix them and how you improve them. And you know you can play with them. They can get them to go up and down stairs and do all kinds of things. They're they're really very cute. Roll over, sit up, beg. Uh, they don't. <laughs> no, they're <laughs> yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. more functional than that. <laughs> it, it, it's... Uh, it's really, but uh, you know, boss. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I, I do want to get you. I think you're going to the same place. The question I have for you, which is really interesting to me, that the industry is actually proposing and endorsing regulation of itself. Tell us about that, and then get to the three component parts of the bill, if you would, please, Representative. Right. Well, the industry, again, I mean, we saw these videos and, and I think, you know, Boston Dynamic would be the first to say this was, these were not their robots um, that were in the videos. They were produced overseas, um, as often happens. There are sort of these knockoffs that are made. Um, but the video that showed the robot being weaponized went viral. Um, and so thousands of people around the world had this idea that you could like stick guns on a robot and 
and you know, potentially do really dangerous and serious uh, harm to others. And, and really the point of the robots is, is the exact opposite. Like how can we prevent human death and injury by taking over some of these really dangerous things? So Boston Dynamics said it's, it's time for us to, to come forward and to say we want some sort of regulation because by getting ahead of it, we can perhaps, you know, we're not playing catch up. We are right out the gate saying that this is something that can't be done. The bill that you are co-sponsoring in the State House of Representatives has a number of pieces to it, and I would like to ask you about them. They are noted in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, again, front page story. It says the bill contains three primary provisions related to robots, drones, and other uncrewed robotic devices in Massachusetts. The first is banning the sale and use of robotic devices with weapons. So let's hear about that. Right. So, I mean, I think what we're just trying to, to do is, as you said, to, to ban the sale. I mean, it's, it doesn't include law enforcement. I mean, it does put guardrails around that. But it's just really about you and I can't walk into a store and purchase a robot that is going to be weaponized. And this bill, as I understand it, is reported in the Gazette, bans the usage of robotic devices to physically restrain an individual. Until I read that, it hadn't occurred to me that that was possible. But now that I know it's possible, I'm really glad your bill is going to stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. So No, but in in, in fairness, these these robots, what law enforcement, public safety thinks is, you know, if there's a bomb, you could send one of these robots in to take care of the bomb. If there's... Uh, a uh, well, you know, we just saw somebody captured by a real live dog down in Pennsylvania who was, you know, an escaped convict uh, who had been convicted of murder. Uh, so that things like that is what public safety likes the idea of a robot for. Instead of endangering a human being, these robots can do it. That I think that's the that's the general positive impression that people have, right? Right, and I mean, I I would add a little bit more context even, you know, these robots have also been used in situations where hostages have been taken. Um, you don't just want to necessarily uh, you know, send people in because you want to make sure you're protecting the hostages. But at the same time, it, the robot can sort of give a scan of what the room looks like. It's not going to hurt anybody. Um, it's it's a dog, so it looks a lot more friendly, um, and it's been, it's been helpful to de-escalate situations as well. So it was you know, important to us that we weren't restricting some of the good uses. Again, no one wants um, any of these robots to be used in dangerous ways. And that is really the focus of the bill. But I, I think it's really important for me personally to stress that there are very good uses because, again, I think the sort of Terminator-esque image that we get when we think of robots is that, you know, these are dangerous, uh, dangerous. Well, a robot with four legs and a bushy tail named Spot does uh, does uh, evoke a much different image than Terminator 2 uh, stalking yeah. you. You are quoted in today's paper, Representative Sabados is saying yeah. this, quote, another point this bill addresses is helping assure public confidence in law enforcement officials' use of these technologies when they see them in their communities, Sabados has said, adding that mobile robots are already being used in several large cities by fire departments, police bomb squads, and SWAT response teams. you want to add to that? 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that is what I'm trying to, I've been trying to underscore. Like, this is something that even if we're not seeing it on a daily basis, that is very, very common. Um, and again, we have no desire to restrict that usage, um, but we do need to make sure that as this technology becomes less expensive, it is, I should say, it is expensive right now. This is not something that, you know, you could just call up, place an order and have a spot, you know, roaming around your house, bringing you uh, your in paper version of the Daily Hampshire Gazette. Oh, That's I would like the... that. Spot, go get today's paper, unlock the front door, bring it to me and please make the coffee too. That would be great. No, that's not where we are. Um, these robots are very sophisticated, but they are not that sophisticated. And um, so that's not what we want, but the technology is going to continue to evolve. And it may actually evolve to a point where you could have a spot in your home that does those things. That's where this is getting out ahead of what's to come. And we need, I think we've We've really seen this with AI, right? Like the government has not put up the regulations that we need to protect society from something that can be useful, but can also be very harmful. We're trying to do that in this legislation. One other robots. part of the legislation I'd like to ask you about, quoting now again from the Gazette, uh, this legislation codifies requirements that a warrant is required when a robot enters private property, except in exigent circumstances, Sabados has said, Tell us about that, if you would, please, Representative. Right. So um, I'll, I'll go back to the example that I gave around the hostage situation. I mean, that's a situation where there would be exigent circumstances. It would be really important to get a scan of the room to see if there are weapons, to see what the what the situation actually looks like. Um, in other, you know, we don't also, though, want, you know, just dogs entering your property because the police can't do that. And I think it's important to understand that we're not trying to say, you don't need to have a warrant because it's a dog. You still need to have a warrant because it's a tool that's used by law enforcement. And that's why I think the, the pairing on this legislation is very interesting. You have tech companies, and I keep referring to Boston Dynamics because they're who I've worked with the most, but it's actually a lot of robotics companies that are supporting this legislation. They're saying, we need to make sure that you're regulating us. You have the ACLU, uh, so really a group that focuses on privacy and, and civil liberties, also supporting this legislation. So we're, we've made sure that, you know, guardrails are in place to protect the individual and, and the constitutional rights guaranteed. But then you also have law enforcement that, you know, while they're not out front in the legislation have been involved in all of the conversations to get to the place where we are. So you sort of have these three pillars of interested stakeholders who are all coming together to say, we think this is the path forward. One other aspect of the bill that I really appreciate, Representative, is this, and I'm quoting you again, the bill also requires that information about the usage of advanced robotic technology by law enforcement agencies must be available to the public under the Massachusetts Public Records Law. Another another guardrail, which I think is really important. So thank you for that, for including that. Thank you for including that in the legislation. Well, there were a lot of very, um, very dedicated and smart people working on this. So I cannot take credit for all good components. Well, I just ha I'm sorry. I just have one other question, which is that if, if somebody, if, if law enforcement person violates your civil rights, if we have these self-directed robots and they violate your civil rights and they weren't ordered to do so by someone because they're self-directed, that's an interesting issue. How do you sue it a is robot? It is an interesting issue and we're not there yet. So these robots are not yet self-directed. There's actually, um, if you're going to run one of these robots, you get like a sort of remote control that um, 
gives you the ability to, to control where the robot goes, if the robot's going to go up, down, around. Um, you can see what the robot is seeing on the screen, but you don't, the robot can't do it itself now. Will that happen in the future? I mean, with the combination of all the emerging technologies, that might be possible. You might be able, even if this is a step backwards, but you might be able to program the robot to do something. Right, like we program computers to do things all the time. You could potentially, without being physically present in the future, not now, program the robot. What does that mean? And those are questions that I'm not sure we fully answered in the legislation, but I do think would would at this point go back to the person who did the programming if there was a liability issue. The end of the article in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette quotes Kate Crockford, who is the director of the Technology for Liberty program at the ACLU of Massachusetts. She says this. Hollywood often paints a vivid picture of the dystopian future filled with robotic violence, but we have the power to ensure those images stay in the realm of fiction. Representative Sabadosa, thank you for introducing this bill. We'll be back with more with the representative from the 1st Hampshire District, Lindsay Sabadosa, right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Here comes the money. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com. Buy a mattress online? There are at least 100 websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than an online video and some questionable reviews to know what it actually feels like? At Talon Furniture, we mostly sell therapeutic mattresses, not Tempur-Pedic. Don't want to mislead you. Therapeutic. Made in Brockton by fellow Red Sox fans. You like eating local? Try sleeping local. Therapeutic mattresses are clean. No toxic off-gassing. Come to Talon and lay down on a therapeutic. See what it feels like. You can have all the time you need. And we don't roll it up like a burrito, stuff it in a box, and cram it in your car. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. We actually deliver your new mattress and set it up. Talon Furniture, a real store just down the hill from Amherst College. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. 
We continue our conversation with a representative from the 1st Hampshire District, Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. During the break, Buzz and I and the representative had continued a conversation on a different topic other than robots, but a really important one. Buzz, why don't you bring our listeners in to that conversation? Representative Sabadosa, the the governor in the $56 billion-plus budget uh, vetoed a couple of a number of provisions, uh, but two that I'm particularly concerned about, and I wonder what you have to say about. Uh, one involves uh, child care, uh, education, and uh, early edu- early childhood education. I can't speak. And the other involves affordable housing. Uh, and now there's discussion about whether or not the legislature is going to override those two vetoes of the governor. Could you talk to us about that? Sure. Um, and so I, what I can't do is I can't quite explain why these vetoes occurred, but I can tell you uh, that the governor vetoed $2.5 million for a program called Home and Healthy for Good, and that funds permanent supportive housing and system changes to advance solutions to homelessness. So for uh, local listeners, uh, independent housing solutions, which is the new property on Franklin Street that uh, Dr. Bossy runs, uh, provides housing for chronically homeless individuals with severe uh, mental, uh, I'm sorry, medical issues, that program um, would be have a funding cut uh, under this veto, which I personally find to be unacceptable. We just got these people into housing. We need to make sure that they stay in housing. Uh, the other cut that, um, that you mentioned is to the Head Start Supplemental Grant. So it takes away about $35 million in funding for the early education rate reserve. That provides slightly higher wages. I say slightly because truly like what we, what we should be paying people who provide childcare and what we do pay is uh, dramatically different. But with that 35 million, we were paying a slightly higher wage to, um, to educators that was really attracting people into the profession. Um, as many folks know, we're really struggling to keep people uh, employed in that sector. And I'm just gonna add one more because it, it's really disturbing to me. There was a cut to the Children's Advocacy Center These are the places, including the one in Hampshire County, right here in Northampton, that help children who have suffered sexual abuse and violence. Uh, They provide a safe space for them to go report what happened to them and then to get the care that they need. And um, that is something that is very near and dear to my heart, something I work very hard to keep funded. It would, uh, it's a million dollar veto across the state and would result in about a $100,000 loss right here in Hampshire County at a time when more and more children are unfortunately suffering sexual assault and abuse. So the legislature, I believe, has a moral obligation to override these vetoes. I understand that the financial picture in our state is changing and we are in the midst of a migrant crisis where a lot of our funds are being uh, directed towards appropriately because it is our job to take care of people arriving into the state. But at the same time, these programs are really critical and we're gonna have to make sure that they stay in place. So you think the overrides are going to happen? I am doing everything I can to ensure that they are. Representative Sabadosa, last week, uh, Marsha Burek was remembered in Northampton. And many listeners I know say, oh, of course, we remember Marsha. You were there. You were a friend of hers. Tell us what happened last week and why. So last week, uh, Marsha, along with several others, and I, I'm not—I don't have all the names in front of me, so I mean no disrespect, but Marsha was my my dear friend, and so uh, her name, along with others, was added to the um, the Queen of Main Street Owl, uh, which you can find right on Main Street across from Thorns. It was an honor uh, reserved for those who really 
dedicated their heart and soul to improving downtown Northampton. Marsha was certainly one of those people. Um, Marsha was not only uh, just a, a champion for downtown, but she was also a Wellesley alum. Um, so we shared that connection. And I saw her son the other day who said, wow, if you and Marsha were friends and you were both Wellesley alums and into politics, you probably could never stop talking. And that was true. Uh, Marsha loved to share stories of her time at college, her friendship with, uh, with Madeleine Albright, her um, her relationships with China and the different um, the different things that she'd accomplished over life and I have to say most especially uh, her wonderful relationship with her granddaughter uh, Sam of whom she could not have been more proud and it was just an honor to know her and spend time with her and I hope that there are people who are listening who had that opportunity and and if you didn't well, you missed an amazing woman. Yeah, we should note that Marsha Burek was a chief aide to the mayor of Northampton for many years. She was deeply involved in downtown. She was a mover and shaker uh, in politics in Northampton and in the development of Northampton and the revitalization of downtown and involved in civics. Civic, she was at civic engagement of, of a magnitude and, and, and a depth of caring that all of us should hope to emulate. She was a wonderful, beautiful person. She died about a year ago, and we really, really appreciate the city and you commemorating her and all she has did for all of us. Thank you, Lindsay Sabadosa. Really appreciate you and your time. Thank you. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. More witnesses are expected to take the stand today in the murder trial of Kara Rantella in Hampshire Superior Court. Two police officers on the scene first have already testified, and forensic pathologist Joanne Richmond is expected to take the stand today. This is the fourth murder trial for Rintala, who is accused of killing her wife, Anna Marie Cochran Rintala, in their house in Granby in 2010. The mother of a trans student who experienced aggressive bullying at Amherst Middle School is behind the ongoing Title IX investigation to determine whether school guidance counselors were complicit in her child's suffering. Maxine Olin filed her first complaint with the school in September 2022, and after nothing happened to address the issues, she decided more needed to be done. And there was a tremendous fear and feeling of unsafety on the part of my child, and we reported bullying incidents every day that this happened over and over again. Olin said it took the superintendent's office more than a year until the bullying was addressed. The ongoing Title IX investigation will determine who is at fault for the gender-based discrimination happening in the school. And gates open for the Big E this morning. Today is Be a Kid for a Day, Military Appreciation Day, with $12 admission for everyone and free admission for veterans and active military. New foods this year include the Bacon Bomb, Maple Bacon Hot Dogs, Nashville Hot Chicken Pizza, and Frosting Shots. There will also be nearly 50 performances on the E stage throughout the two weeks of the fair, which runs today through October 1st. Partly sunny this morning, mostly cloudy this afternoon, breezy all day, a high of 68 to 72. Mostly cloudy and breezy tonight, overnight low of 48 to 54. Mostly cloudy, windy tomorrow as we're on the far outskirts of Hurricane Lee. Just a slight chance for a shower, a high of 70 to 74. Sun cloud mix, upper 70s on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. 
A Northampton man contends with his slow passage into blindness. What's that like? Andrew Leland's new book, The Country of the Blind, is part memoir, part historical and cultural investigation. Leland's determined not to merely survive the transition, but to revel in that which makes blindness enlightening, accepting uncertainty, connecting with others across differences. Warm and funny, The Country of the Blind is an exhilarating tour of a way of being most of us have never paused to consider. Pick up The Country of the Blind at Northampton's independent bookstore, Broadside Bookshop. A Coleman tent for how much? Coleman sleeping bags. You've never seen prices like these. The Coleman truckload sale, now at Yankee Candle Village. Coleman lanterns and flashlights, tents and sleeping bags, stoves and grills, and those Coleman coolers. Save 20, 40, up to 75% on first quality outdoor gear from Coleman. The Coleman truckload sale, going on right now through Sunday at Yankee Candle Village in South Deerfield. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. Want to know more about local history, literature, and education? Hilltown Families bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place. Funded by a year-long grant from Mass Humanities, you can download guides anytime, free of charge, at Hilltown Families. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome back to the show Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and Nellie Taylor, who works at the Labor Center at UMass Amherst and is a member of the Professional Staff Union. Two labor people on the show today. I really appreciate your coming on because I want your perspective on the strike against the auto worker, the auto worker strike against the auto manufacturers. Let's start with you, Max Page. You've been involved in the labor movement for decades. What's your take? Well, I think this is an historic moment. I mean, the UAW has decided to go on strike. First thing, they're doing it against all three of the big three, they're so-called, um, Ford, GM, and Stellantis, and they're doing it all at once. In the past, they've chosen one to go on strike against. But more importantly, I think Sean Fain, the new reform leader that's taken over, says we are going to demand a fair pay, but also roll back some of the the huge divisions, the takeaways that the company's made over the past 20 years, like two-tier pay, like the new people get to come in way lower pay, taking away full real pensions. And they're saying, look, we made this to almost quarter trillion dollar profit that the that the big three automakers have made, the workers deserve some of that because in fact the workers have created that profit. So I think it's a really important one, not just important strike, not just for UAW, but for all the labor movement in the kinds of things that they're demanding and the willingness to go on strike and not just accept a little bit of better pay increase. Let me turn, if I might, to Nellie Taylor. Your your perspective on this, Nellie? 
Yeah, I think I think the important thing about this UAW strike for me is that we're seeing now a enormous strike in the Midwest. It, you know, during hot strike summer, it was very much a coastal experience. But here we are now seeing about 13,000 employees and UAW members in three different states in the Midwest who are um, exercising their power as workers and showing that the productivity that they have helped increase over the last, you know, 25, 30 years is there. They are they own part of that, um, the increase in productivity, the increase in profits over time. Um, and that's, I think, part of why one of the main components and issues in this strike is that those workers are worried about what's going to happen to their jobs when electric vehicles become the more prominent uh, produ produced um, type of, you know, uh, commercial automobile in or family automobile in the United States. Those workers are really entitled to um, maintaining their jobs and um, and maintaining a good life. And, you know, it's going to be really exciting to see how that fight goes down. This is a strike against GM, General Motors, Ford and Stellantis. Stellantis, of course, we used to hear about Ford, uh, GM and Chrysler. Stellantis owns Chrysler and a couple of other large uh, uh car manufacturers as well. I, I'd like one more question to bo both of you on the strike, because a strike is often described as a failed negotiation. Everyone can project what will happen with the strike, but why can't these manufacturers who are swimming in profits figure out that this is a good time to make improvements in wages and skip all the drama and the hardship of the strike? Max, your view on that, and then we'll ask Nelly the same question. Then we got to get on to the Cherish Act here in Massachusetts. Uh, why, um, why companies need um, extraordinary, extraordinary profits is always a question. Um, they they are not willing to share that the profit that was created by the workers in large measure. And I think what's important is they are willing to give some pay increases. Um, there are even some of them, I think one is saying 20%, another 18% over three years. But the the what's key is that the UAW is saying we need structural changes to roll back these really um, um, efforts to diminish the quality of those contracts, such as pensions, such as having new workers come at in a much lower scale. It's really, really important. They're trying to make sure that structurally going forward, these remain good jobs for workers in these industries. Noe Taylor, you want to add to that? Um, I, I want to say that I think um, the concept that a strike is a failed negotiation is is a fallacy. Workers strike when it's appropriate. Striking is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy decision for workers to make. And I think it's one of the tools in the toolkit when situations do get really intense and workers know that they are in, they're deserving of way more than what they're being offered at the bargaining table. Um, I think we've seen time and again throughout history that owners of, of large corporations concede nothing unless they are absolutely forced to do so. And that's what UAW is ready to do. So, you know, let's, let's have these workers win and sh continue to show that a credible uh, disruption or a threat of a credible disruption to uh, production or to the general course of commerce is the best way for workers to display their power and win what they deserve.
Max Page, I don't know if I want to add to that. I do want to ask you both about the upcoming hearings about the Cherish Act. Uh, so maybe we could turn to that. Max, there big hearings, big doings on Beacon Hill, I think Monday. Tell us. Yes. So the Cherish Act, which is the blueprint for high-quality, debt-free public higher education, which we, we in the MTA have been pushing in a, with a broad coalition in the Mass Higher Ed for All Coalition is being heard on Monday morning at the State House at 10 a.m. We have buses coming from from UMass Amherst, from the South Coast, from the North, from Boston, all to converge on the State House to talk about why we need to have true debt-free public higher education for every resident as a way to achieve greater racial and economic justice, but also invest in the quality of our public colleges and universities. That means fair pay and sufficient numbers of staff and faculty and green buildings, outstanding repaired buildings for our students and our staff and faculty. And that's what's being heard. It is being sponsored by the main Senate sponsor is our own Senator Joe Comerford. One of the House sponsors is Rep. Pat Duffy from Holyoke. So Western Mass is really represented well. And we have a, it's such an important moment in the wake of the Supreme Court's decisions on affirmative action and then getting rid of the student debt relief that the game for ed education justice is in our public colleges and universities. And we have a time, we have an opportunity this year right now that we've never had quite before. Explain this to me, if you would, please. The Cherish Act you just described as a blueprint. It's not, I don't think, the actual money. So what, tell me if I understand that correctly. I'd like to know then, what does the bill actually accomplish other than saying, here are our goals? Why, isn't, why is it more than an aspirational statement? No, it, it obligates the state. If they pass the Cherish Act as written, it would obligate the state to make sure that young people going to our public colleges and universities would graduate debt-free. That means an obligation to spend the money necessary to achieve that. It would obligate them to provide the sufficient staff to provide the guidance services, the counseling, so that students get to graduation. It would obligate them to start taking over the costs of the buildings, which they used to pay for, but now is shunted off to the campuses so that it becomes student debt. So there's a bunch of things in their bill that, that actually obligate future um, administrations and legislatures to fulfill. So in that way, it is getting closer to establishing public higher education as a right in the way that uh, we have with K-12 education. Noe Taylor, I could see you on my screen nodding. Uh, our listeners couldn't, but why don't you share that nod with our listeners? So I think what Max, uh, I want to highlight two points that Max just made. The first one is that uh, students deserve access to public education at the higher ed level in Massachusetts. Our student bodies at our public colleges and universities do not yet represent the population of Massachusetts. I think that's important for people to recognize, even and especially, you know, Max made the point about the Supreme Court and affirmative action. Our, we have more work to do as higher education institutions to ensure that students who are, are high achieving at the high school level have the opportunity with or without support from their families in order to attend and take advantage of the entire range of opportunities at our, our outstanding and absolutely incredible 
higher education institutions in this state. I, I cannot stress to you enough how much um, the the idea of taking on debt scares kids in a way that I did not hear about when I was a student applying to colleges in Massachusetts 25 years ago. The what I taught high school mathematics at a public school in Massachusetts for 13 years. And during that time, my most high achieving students were often telling me that they were going to choose to go to a community college for two years to do their general ed requirements before they decided to apply to another institution. And the reason they were doing that is because they could not afford a four year degree at a higher ed universe uh, institution, a, a public university or college in Massachusetts. Um, and this really is a disruption to the the concept of a four year degree. Max Page, the hearing on the Cherish Act is when and people can participate how? It is on Monday starting at 10 a.m. in Gardner Auditorium. It is also available to be watched via uh, Zoom from the Statehouse website. Max Page is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Nellie Taylor works at the UMass Labor Center and member of the professional staff union. Thank you both so very much. Good luck Monday. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Max. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. The great tradition of the Old Deerfield Fall Arts and Crafts Festival returns September 23rd and 24th. Come brighten your home or wardrobe. Choose from affordable works by over 100 artisans in the beautiful village of Old Deerfield. But don't just take my word for it. Get the details at deerfield-craft.org. Come celebrate a bright new fall season. Admission $5, children 12 and under free. Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. goes on the beat goes on drums keep pounding a rhythm to the and this is art beat with
Donabel Cassis, who is not here. So we have Betsy Stone in for Donabel Cassis, and Betsy has with her two very, very, well, interesting and important artists. So, Betsy Stone, let me turn to you the microphone and the pleasure of these introductions. They're all yours. Thanks, Bill. Nice to be back here while Donabel's floating around Peru. Um, yeah, my, my guests today are um, Patrick McDonald and Ian Healy from Lucky Tattoos. They have co-curated an, uh, an exhibit at APE Gallery in, on Main Street in Northampton called Lucky You and uh, Lucky Us, Lucky You. I love that name. And it's Lucky Tattoo at 37 Main Street, Northampton. Um, can you tell me um, a bit more about Lucky Tattoo or tell us all a bit more about Lucky Tattoo? Uh, uh, Lucky's Tattoo and Piercing mm -hmm. was founded uh, in 1998, um, and uh, that was actually before tattooing was legal in Massachusetts. So oh, I didn't know it was, know it was just illegal. a piercing parlor. Um, tattooing used to have to be prescribed by a doctor. There was an ACLU case, ACLU case that changed that, and we are so happy because Lucky's is here and because, well, they are also uh, wonderful tenants in the building that I have an interest in. Uh-huh, says oh. the ACLU <laughs> lawyer. How lucky. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> okay, so 1998, is it? Yes, um, and then uh, I believe tattooing uh, became legal around 2001 when uh, we ended up expanding into um, uh, said space. Uh, and... Um, yeah, it was run as a, a, a very, uh, you know, uh, kind of retail-oriented piercing and, and tattooing uh, parlor. Um, and then uh, it was acquired by uh, a, a guy named Zach Torrin um, in uh, 2014. Um, and uh, at that point, we underwent a, a bit of a transformation um, over time, uh, we, we, we tried to form the shop into more of a uh, space that's a better fit for our community. Mm -hmm. In what way? Um, it, 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 it was very classically like a, a masculine-oriented um, uh, tattoo and, and, and piercing shop. Um, and, and we kind of uh, pushed our way towards... Uh, a, a place that's more welcoming to, to just everyone in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to say that when my wife went and got her tattoo, you all were terrific. And I got this. <laughs> oh, fabulous. <laughs> Great. Good you, to hear. You told me, Patrick, that you have individual uh, rooms. <laughs> Each tattoo artist has an individual room, so Absolutely. they set their own tone. Uh, e each practitioner, all, the piercers also have their own rooms. And, and that just like, uh, exactly like you said, uh, allows us to set the tone and um, kind of uh, for us to curate the space um, for the comfort of ourselves and our clients and um, provide a lot of privacy and, and just uh, a, a good space for everybody. Mm -hmm. So, um, Ian, what, yes. what motivated the two of you to co-curate this show? Uh, it was just an opportunity, I thought, for us to be able to showcase the work that we make in our personal studios. So I approached Patrick and Zach about the idea, and they were fully supportive right away about the opportunity to have a show that we could um, exhibit within the community that we work within. So people could really see that there is such a well-rounded artistic expression to us as tattooers, and it's not just what we make in the studios. 
So are these tattoos on some other uh, canvas other than a body? That's what what the show is. Or yeah, something I wouldn't even. Different? I wouldn't even call them tattoos. It's 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 our personal work, whether it's on canvas or on paper or sculpture. Um, some people chose to still work within the tattoo imagery and then others of us including myself really have such different type of expression when we are in our personal studios than we do when we are in the tattoo shop for instance you're a trained artist academically trained artist yes. and your your paintings they're they're actually pastels are um have some very traditional art elements to them you can tell you've studied art history and you've studied but they're in pastels and they're really interesting but your own work in in tattooing what is that like well i would say that my work in tattooing and my work in my personal studio is somewhat in alignment with the expression that i take influence from from 16th and 17th century art uh, uh -huh. specifically european art where the ornament or the representations of the figures um there is a consistency to that, but maybe people wouldn't see that right away because most of my tattoo work is very black and gray oriented mm -hmm. just because I think it looks really beautiful on the body and ages very well. But my personal work uh, is very figurative representational or um, uh, very classically inspired. Right. You know? So there is a conjunction right. between the two. If I may, Ian, so when you, when you do your own, when you're expressing yourself in yeah. your own art on canvas or whatever the medium is, um, that's your own expression. But when you're doing something on my body, is it going to be my expression or your expression? I'd like to gonna... say it's a collaboration because we're talking about an idea. Uh, I tattoo every day or I think about image making every day. So my job is to take your ideas and then filter them through my process and make it a really beautiful image on your body. So composition, uh, tonal structure, um, you know, uh, hierarchy of elements is all very important whether you're talking about a sleeve of on a person's arm or on a piece of paper for an art show. Uh, so I think about them somewhat in similar fashions, but the fact that we're composing on the body then, and I have to make something that lasts forever and will evolve with the body is a little bit of a different thought, thought process, which you only gain that knowledge through time of doing the actual practice. Hmm. Patrick, um, what, um, uh, let's talk about some of the other artists who are, who are in the show who Absolutely. are very different yeah. from Ian's work. I remember seeing some Japanese, beautiful Japanese-influenced art. Yeah, we had a couple artists submit um, some Japanese-influenced art. Uh, it's mostly uh, in, in the vein of Tattoo Flash. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's all very beautiful and, 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 and very entrenched in, in, in what they practice in, in their tattoo practice. Mm -hmm. um, but... Yeah, ask uh, me more. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back on um, when you gave me a tour of the gallery, yeah. and uh, we're talking about APE Gallery in downtown Northampton on Main Street, yes. where this Lucky You, Lucky Us um, show is co-curated by our guests, Patrick McDonald and Ian Healy um, from Lucky Ta Lucky's Tattoo. Um, so there was another artist who really struck me who had large animals floating in the air, large canvases yeah. of paintings. Who is that artist? And um, what's, what's his tattoo work like? Uh, that's Charles Rouse, who is uh, a, a, 
I believe uh, he's been tattooing for about 10 years. Um, and uh, Charles, uh, in the studio and collaborating with, with clients, has, has a, a, a kind of rigid, more rigid view of, of tattooing and, and tattoos within the confines of American traditional tattooing, mm. um, which uh, is, is usually highlighted by um, bright colors, dark shading, and um, thick outlines. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, Charles's art uh, in uh, the gallery is, is very much not that. It's, mm -hmm. it, it has a, a, a very light quality to it. There's, um, it's almost dreamlike. Mm. It's beautiful and it very is. painterly. And and it's interesting for his work that his tattoo work is so linear in style and then his personal work is so just tonal and airy and the complete opposite, really. Yeah, yeah it, spe it speaks range. to the juxtaposition of, of uh Well, we could talk about this for a long time, but we have for to sure. wrap up. <laughs> and I just want to say there's a whole range. I remember some very sweet drawings, line drawings, botanical-type drawings there mm -hmm. also. So there's a whole range, and uh, I hope you can go to this show. It's really fascinating. Which is at APE Gallery on Main Street uh Hours, days, uh, how long will it be up whoa. for? Yeah, it'll be up till the 24th. Uh -huh. um, they do open at 11. Uh, I believe their summer hours are Wednesday to Sunday. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. We leave it there. We have Thank been, you. We have, Thank you. This has been Artbeat with Betsy Stone and for Donna Belcassis and Ian Healy and Patrick McDonald from Lucky's Tattoo. Go to APE. You're going to enjoy yourself a lot. Thank you all so very much. This has been Artbeat. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. Dear Massachusetts, marijuana is now legal for adult use. Keep your kids and pets safe by keeping all cannabis products in child-resistant packaging. Store your cannabis in a lockbox out of sight and out of reach from your children and teach them that cannabis and alcohol are for adults only and that prescription medications are only meant for the person they are prescribed for. Brought to you by the Northampton Prevention Coalition, working together to protect the developing brain. Northampton WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. United Auto Workers have made history after walking off their jobs at midnight. This is our generation's defining moment. The money is there, the cause is righteous. The world is watching. Union President Sean Fain as members strike the big three at three different plants in three different states. 
Correspondent Chris Van Cleve is in Detroit. The workers feel this first, the businesses feel it second, suppliers feel it third, and then the larger economy starts to feel it from there. President Biden is expected to speak about the strike sometime today. Correspondent Ed O'Keefe is at the White House. That may come after another round of phone calls potentially to the UAW and auto uh, company leadership this morning to see if there's any hope of trying to salvage this. The Labor Department and a handful of White House senior aides have been point people for the administration with the union and with the auto companies. Two of the plants affected by the strikes produce some of the most popular trucks and SUVs, Jeep Wranglers and Ford Broncos. After a deluge of rain, flooding, sinkholes and tornadoes, New England is about to get slammed by a weakened Hurricane Lee. The system's expected to make landfall in Maine or coastal Canada over the weekend. Weather Channel meteorologist Kelly Cass. Hurricane Lee may have been downgraded to a category one, but we're talking about big impacts because it's a very big storm. Hurricane force winds extend out about 100 miles from the center, and then you've got the tropical storm winds that go out more than 300 miles from center. President Biden's declared a state of emergency for Maine. Former President Trump has opened up to NBC News about whether he'd pardon himself if he wins next year's presidential election. I could have given myself a pardon. Don't ask me about what I would do. I could have, the last day, I could have had a pardon done that would have saved me all of these lawyers and all of this, these fake charges. Bottom line, he says it's unlikely he would pardon himself. A new strike against Spain's ex-soccer boss. Vicki Barker's at the Foreign Desk. An investigating judge at Spain's High Court has just issued a restraining order against Luis Rubiales to prevent the former soccer chief from approaching World Cup winner Jenny Hermoso. In his first court appearance to answer possible criminal charges, Rubiales once again insisted the kiss he planted on Hermoso's lips was consensual, something she denies. Rubiales is now forbidden to approach within 500 yards of her. He's best known for his voluptuous depictions in paintings and massive sculptures. Colombia's president says artist Fernando Botero has died at the age of 91. Friend tells the Washington Post he suffered from pneumonia and Parkinson's disease. This is CBS News. You need to hire fast and hire right? You need Indeed. Their all-in-one hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates efficiently. Visit Indeed.com credit. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com free. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. You get qualified candidates fast. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for. The needle in the haystack. Four out of five employers who post a job in ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter.com For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. More witnesses are expected to take the stand today in the murder trial of Kara Rantella in Hampshire Superior Court. Two police officers on the scene first have already testified, and forensic pathologist Joanne Richmond is expected to take the stand today. This is the fourth murder trial for Rintala, who is accused of killing her wife Anna Marie Cochran Rintala in their house in Granby in 2010. 
The mother of a trans student who experienced aggressive bullying at Amherst Middle School is behind the ongoing Title IX investigation to determine whether school guidance counselors were complicit in her child's suffering. Maxine Olin filed her first complaint with the school in September 2022, and after nothing happened to address the issues, she decided more needed to be done. And there was a tremendous fear and feeling of unsafety on the part of my child, and we reported bullying incidents every day that this happened over and over again. Olin said it took the superintendent's office more than a year until the bullying was addressed. The ongoing Title IX investigation will determine who is at fault for the gender-based discrimination happening in the school. And gates open for the Big E this morning. Today is Be a Kid for a Day, Military Appreciation Day, with $12 admission for everyone and free admission for veterans and active military. New foods this year include the Bacon Bomb, Maple Bacon Hot Dogs, Nashville Hot Chicken Pizza, and Frosting Shots. There will also be nearly 50 performances on the E stage throughout the two weeks of the fair, which runs today through October 1st. Partly sunny this morning, mostly cloudy this afternoon, breezy all day, a high of 68 to 72. Mostly cloudy and breezy tonight, overnight low of 48 to 54. Mostly cloudy, windy tomorrow as we're on the far outskirts of Hurricane Lee. Just a slight chance for a shower, a high of 70 to 74. Sun cloud mix, upper 70s on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, right uh, right in our own backyard in Montague, there is a uh, an author who's uh, written a book that was recently published called Rebel Healing, Transforming Ourselves and the Systems that Make Us Sick. Rather a provocative uh, contention that it's our the systems that make us sick, and with us here in the studio is the author of that book, Noel Jankis. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a real pleasure, and, and it's a very interesting read. By way of admission, I've only made it about a third of the way through the book, but um, I uh, am fascinated by uh, some of the uh, sort of foundational um, uh, principles that you use. Um, and I'm interested, Noel Jenka, first of all, in you talking about your own health history. It's, you've woven the book around your own relationship to healing with respect to your own problems with health. Could you talk to us a little bit about what you've had to endure and how you've gotten over the problems that you endured? Sure. Well, I, I just want to say I'm not sure that I've gotten over them. I've just changed my relationship with them. <laughs> um, like I was in another interview earlier this week where somebody kept using the word suffering, like what has it been like to suffer with this, people who are suffering with this. And I think part of the reason I wrote the book is because I don't think we have to suffer, even if we live with chronic illness. Um, something I've learned from being in the game for 22 years. Uh, I first got sick when I was 15 and um, have been sick most of my adult life uh, since then. But I think with a lot of support from health practitioners, uh, mental health practitioners and otherwise, I've found um, different ways to be with it so that uh, it's just a part of my life and not my whole life. So to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing, what are those sicknesses that you've been dealing with? Uh, sure. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a bit all over the place, but um, I've been diagnosed with Lyme disease, with dysautonomia, with uh, mild myalgic encephalomyelitis, what they used to call chronic fatigue syndrome. I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, um, mold sickness, probably other things that I'm not remembering <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's a party. 
And, and how did uh, your relationship to those maladies result in this book, uh, Rebel Healing? Yeah. Um, well, I, I did the thing that I think a lot of authors do where I wrote the book that I wanted to have. Uh, you know, I there's so there's a lot of incredible memoirs about people's experiences um, with health challenges. And there's a lot of books on how to heal. There's a lot of, you know, um, self-help books. But I felt like there wasn't anything that was bridging the gap between the two. And there was kind of a missing story about the context in which we're healing. Like a lot of books about healing are sort of like, if you do all this meditation and you do all this yoga and you drink your celery juice, you're going to get better. And I felt like that was really gaslighting when, in fact, our society in many ways really sets us up to be ill and doesn't support us to heal. Well, you yourself are a yoga teacher, a yoga instructor. So yoga is part of what you consider to be healing thyself, right? Mm -hmm. And how is that? How is it that yoga is part of that process? Well, I think I think not even just the asana, the physical um, aspects of yoga, but the the philosophy of yoga can be really supportive in the healing journey. Um, I also think that a lot of the way that we've done yoga in America is not necessarily healing, but I think that it has a lot to teach us in terms of um, you know non-attachment, for example, and being able to uh, live with health challenges and you know, accept the changes that come with, with that without it totally ruining our lives. We're speaking with Noelle Janka. Her new book is Rebel Healing, Transforming Ourselves and the Systems That Make Us Sick. Something about Western Massachusetts that is conducive to writing this book and having this kind of self-healing practice that you have? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we can't really throw a stone in Western Mass without hitting a healer. So <laughs> there's a lot of people here who have taught me a lot. Yeah, and we don't need to hit, hit anyone with stones because we, <laughs> we, we have enough health care needs here. But God. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I talk about in the book is our importance, the importance of, of reconnecting, reconnecting with ourselves, reconnecting with each other, reconnecting with the land, with the divine, with our ancestors. And I do think that, um, you know, the the caretakers of this land throughout history have done such a good job. I think you can feel it when you're out and about in this area. And How long have you lived here? Uh, off and on for five years, six years. I'd like to go back to something you were talking to Buzz about, and that is why you wrote the book. And mm -hmm. you actually have a uh, section, brief, in the beginning titled, Who is this book for? And in order to give our listeners a sense of what the book sounds like and answer that question. Maybe you could read those couple sentences. Sure. Um, this book is for everyone who's been dismissed in the doctor's office, everyone who has had to see way too many doctors to get a diagnosis, and everyone who does not have a diagnosis or doesn't resonate with the diagnoses they've been given. I'm writing this book with Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, ME-CFS, autoimmune disease, long COVID, and similar lesser understood invisible illnesses in mind, because I think they're, well, because that's what I'm most familiar with. I suspect someone with more widely uh, studied, inherited, or acquired chronic condition or illness might also get something out of the book. Um, and, yeah, I'll stop there. Okay. Um, Buzz? Well, I'm just wondering, Noel, Janka, you, you break um, healing down into three healing frameworks mm -hmm. in your book. Can you talk about what those three frameworks are and why you think it's important to keep that those frameworks in mind? Sure. Yeah, I think there's three things that are missing from most conversations about chronic illness, um, which are context, connection, and intuition. 
So context is, is, as I spoke to you a little bit before, understanding that we're healing within a society that doesn't necessarily support wellness, isn't really setting us up to heal, doesn't have good systems of care. Um, and so, and also seeing that, you know, more than 50% of Americans have at least one chronic condition. So a lot of people think when they get sick that they're alone with it, that everybody else is fine, and that's totally not true. Um, the second thing, connection, I think so many of the issues that we are dealing with in this country are, are really a crisis of connection, um, and the you know illness epidemic being one of them. And so the more that we can connect with each other, connect with our bodies, et cetera, um, that's going to support our healing. One of the things I'm really advocating in the, for in the book is is collective healing and seeing our healing as personal and collective. And the third is intuition. I think it's actually one of the most important healing tools that we have because when we can get kind of all of our condi social conditioning and um, internal conversations out of the way, then we can hear what our body's really trying to tell us. And I, I know from my own experience that our bodies do tell us what we need. Um, and I think that's a huge asset. There's a really interesting statement you make in that section of the book titled, Who Is This Book For?, and you say, and I'm quoting, chronic illness by definition cannot be cured. That said, there is so much opportunity for us to have different relationships with our physical experience. And I wanted, you wanted, more folks to know now what it took me years to learn that you can be in pain without suffering. Mm -hmm. Could you explain that a little bit for us? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, so anyone who's familiar with Buddha, with Buddhism has some experience with this, but it's it's the difference between... Um, you know, it, it's kind of how you hold the pain, the difference between giving the pain your attention and then, you know, acknowledging the pain, but being able to give your attention to other things as well. And that's a practice minute by minute, day by day, year by year for a lot of us. I, that's, I just think that's really interesting. You talk about transformational. Um, so you're talking about a, your mental, your emotional relationship to the ailments that your body is screaming to you, you're in pain, mm -hmm. and you're saying it's, it's somehow that you can make that pain, what, manageable or uh, part of who you are? I mean, I don't quite understand. Yeah, manageable for sure. And then there's there are things that we can do. For example, like I talk in the book about um, polyvagal theory in the nervous system, and one of the things that we're learning is that um, when we're participating in social engagement, we don't feel our pain as much. Sometimes we don't really feel it at all. So um, that's, that's some of what I'm advocating for in the book is that there's ways that we can move through the world differently in which our pain doesn't consume us in quite the same way. And how do you do that? How do you achieve that? I mean, spending more time with people has been huge. I think a lot of people with chronic illness, and myself included for many years, feel very, very isolated. You know, like we knew what it was like to be home alone and not see anyone way before COVID. Um, and so it's, and I think a lot of people really struggle with figuring out how to ask for help in a society where that's, you know, not something that we're all taught to do. And so for some of us, it's like inviting people to come over and lie on the floor with us because that's all that we can do. And, you know, for for years I was like, no one wants to come over and lie on the floor with me. But it turns out some people do, and when they do, and when I have them come do that, I feel better. So that's just one example. This collectivism, you think, is part of the healing process. 100%. Bill, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, uh, there, there is a part of the book that I found fascinating, and that is 
the idea of using intuition, um, something that, frankly, never occurred to me really as a principle for healing. Could you explain that to us and maybe even re- read a bit of what that part of the book? But first explain it to us. Explain it. For those of us in the back of the class, who, <laughs> what, what does that mean? Yeah, so this is a lot of the work that I do with my coaching clients. Um, you know, when people talk about going with their gut or listening to their gut, it's really uh, practicing and cultivating. Or maybe practice. literal? <laughs> <laughs> Listen to what your stomach and your, is telling you? Sure, yeah, literally. And also, sometimes I'll have clients, you know, close their eyes, take a few deep breaths, put their hand on their belly and say, okay, what does your belly think about taking this job? What does your belly think about this relationship that you're in? Um, and uh, it, people get information, you know, and it's different than the information that they get from their heads. Like an example from my life is um, I didn't consult my intuition before getting the first COVID vaccine. I was just ready to see people, ready to get vaccinated. And I had a terrible reaction that kind of laid me on my back for more than a year. And But later, I thought maybe I should go get a booster. I asked my intuition. I got, yes, you should get the booster. You should get the Moderna. I did. Didn't get sick. Was totally fine. So I find that again and again when I ask my intuition and I listen to it, and I follow it, things go well, and when I don't, they don't. Um, Noel Janka, you, uh, there's a very large criticism of Western mes- medicine here, um, mm-hmm. and, and the systems that we've developed in order to uh, treat lack of wellness, right? Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I mean, Bill and I uh, remember well, when we were younger, it was a big, you know, first of all, it's Western versus Eastern. Buzz, remedies. I don't remember younger so well anymore. <laughs> I'd like to be very upfront about that. Well, I think Noel can help you with that memory problem, but um, no, but seriously, the Western versus Eastern, uh, you know, uh, acupuncture and acupressure and massage and that sort of stuff. But you're talking about something that's spiritual, mm. right? That's a relationship to yourself to, uh, to supplement what, uh, what medical practices mm-hmm. provide. You're not opposed to medical practices here and you recognize it in your book and yeah. Uh, you talk about everything when you talk about people understanding their own history, even using DNA tests to understand what your ancestral mm-hmm. uh, sort of background is. I, I Did you come to that by the same process which I just described, which is beginning with a critique of Western medicine, adopting other approaches to healing, and then finally looking within? Is that, is that how that process happened for you? How I developed sort of the critique that I have. <laughs> well, and the spiritual uh, hmm. tools that you use to deal with healing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think like a lot of people in my position, I saw doctors for years and years and years and didn't get any help. Like nothing. Like when I first got sick, they said, take prenatal vitamins and stop being stressed out. And I was 15. And I was undiagnosed with Lyme disease for almost 10 years. Mm. So I had to figure something out. <laughs> Because I wasn't, I just didn't, you know, I, or for a while I thought, okay, I guess this is my life. I'll try to figure it out. But it was, it was miserable. So I needed to do the spiritual work just to, uh, to want to be alive, to be honest. I mean, for years I didn't. And that's, uh, that's part of what led me in that direction. And talking to a lot of other people who had also figured out how to live well with chronic illness really helped me find the spiritual path and the mental and emotional healing work as well. We are talking with Noel Janka from Montague, who has written a book, Rebel Healing, Transforming Ourselves 
and the systems that make us sick. We're going to continue our conversation right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of watch repair and customization in the valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece, and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well with Without unnecessary risk, Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit HugYourMoney.com. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are continuing our conversation with uh, Noel Janka from Montague, who's written a book, the book, Title is Rebel Healing, Transforming Ourselves and the Systems that Make Us Sick. And before we continue our conversation, I'd like to know, Noel, um, there is an event coming up, uh, I guess the launch of this book, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the book is officially launching on Tuesday, the 19th. Um, it will be, the ebook will be free on Amazon for five days. So if fo folks want to go get a free copy of the book, that's available. And then there's going to be a virtual launch party on Zoom on Thursday, the 21st at 6.30. And everyone is welcome to come learn more about the book. And how can they get the, the Zoom address? Yeah, so that can be on my, uh, that'll be on my website at noeljanka.com. So N-O-E-L-L-E-J-A-N-K-A. Or if you Google Rebel Healing, you'll find Let it. Let me do that a little slower. N-O-E-L-L-E-J-A-N-K-A. And um, that is where you can uh, get the link to the Zoom. What time is the Zoom going to happen? 6.30 p.m. Yeah. It just has, has a lovely cadence, N-O-E-L-L-E-K-A-N-K-A. -E -E -A -A. <laughs> it, it does, except that, the, you know, that first E has a, is an umlaut over it. And uh, I don't know, when I wrote to you, I was trying to, 
how do I reproduce that E that's there in the book? And I just couldn't. Honestly, sometimes I just cut and paste myself to save time. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote this book, and um, you talk about uh, not writing workshops. What do you call those? Oh, writing salons. Writing salons. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, and what is a writing salon, and why is it important with respect to healing? Yeah, so I, I run writing salons uh, in what's called the gateless writing method, and it's a really beautiful opportunity for folks to uh, kind of tap into their deepest wells of creativity and and self-expression because we people write, read, and give feedback, but it's only positive feedback. We talk about what we like in the writing, and so that allows people to write about some of their most intense experiences, knowing that they're not going to get criticized. Uh, and it's... I've been doing, I have some folks that have been doing it with me for, for three years, and most of them are folks with health challenges. I would like to ask this question to Bill Newman, because Bill writes a lot. Bill has authored books. Bill writes a regular column. Noelle contends that part of her healing process was writing. Can you relate to that? Uh, I actually am not an enthusiast of, say, of using writing as therapy. I think that it is, in fact, uh, helpful. And there's all sorts of aspects of writing and committing to paper and going, more importantly, through the process of putting words on paper that can be extremely helpful in achieving insight. But I don't see it as a therapeutic process. I think if you approach it that way, it's actually counterproductive. Mm. Um, I, I would like to ask you, uh, Noel, about this part of your book. Um, you say this. You say, so far you've learned, that is by reading the book up to this point, how to build a foundation for healing. And you, next, you say, next we'll look at the mental aspect, exploring several approaches to train your brain to support your healing. Specifically, I'll talk about limbic system retraining. What's that? Well, it's all the rage right now in the healing community. has been for a few years. Um, the, the limbic system uh, is part of, it just controls a whole bunch of the autonomic nervous system, and it can get stuck in a in a rut so to speak so people can get stuck in loops of fight or flight or get stuck in freeze and that has a huge impact on um, all the bodily functions and there are programs um, one of them's called the dynamic neural retraining system another one's called primal trust and it helps you rewire the limbic system so it helps you get out of the rut and so for some people this uh, has an enormous impact. They go from being bedbound to being fully functional in a matter of weeks after they start doing these programs, which um, most of the time involve talking to yourself and doing certain movements. And it looks really silly, but it, it can make a really big difference. Let's go back to Buzz's question about writing. Mm -hmm. do you, how do you view the inter interplay between writing and healing? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, writing this book helped me feel like my healing process meant something, being able to make it a contribution to other people. So that that's how it worked for me. I also, uh, I think wrestling with words is a healing process for me in itself, even if it's not about me, just figuring out how words fit together, what I'm trying to say. Like the process of, I don't know if you know, you've had this experience, Bill, but for me, the process of editing was completely different from the process of writing. And that in itself was healing just to have something to work on and wrestle with. Editing is different because editing makes you commit. Mm. And that is something that is really important. Is this really what I want to say? Mm -hmm. And that helps bring clarity to your own thoughts. I am a big fan of the notion 
of writing as a process of thinking. Mm -hmm. And the book that I love, it's a little book, it's years old, and it's called Thinking on Paper. Mm. And it's the process of writing that clarifies your thoughts. I don't know that that's exactly therapeutic, but it is helpful in terms of learning what you actually believe or making you get to a conclusion about what you actually believe. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Noel Janka, there is something else that you write about that, that really hit home for me, and that's because um, uh, anybody who's been dealing with the criminal justice system for a long time, uh, the critique about holding people in isolation mm. has been something that we have written about and yeah. argued about in in court and uh, the living room, for mm-hmm. that matter. But you talk about how um, healing, trying to heal yourself while holding yourself in isolation is just uh, antithetical to yeah. each other. Could you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, well, going back to the science for a moment, um, you know, with everything that we are learning about the nervous system, we know that in isolation, people shut down. People need social engagement to be healthy. They're, our cells need social engagement to be healthy. So, at the, I mean, at the most basic level, that's just something that we need in order to be functional. And so... The longer we are, uh, excuse me, the longer we are isolated, the, the more of an impact that it has on our body, just on a cellular level. You feel that healing does take a village. Uh, yes, and I think that that's part of why so many of us are struggling is that we don't have villages anymore for the most part. In like Robert Putnam talks about, you know, in Bowling Alone, the decline in social capital, I think that's having a huge impact on our health as well. Well, Noah Jacqueline, one more time, could you tell people how to get a copy of Rebel Healing, Transforming Ourselves and the Systems That Make Us Sick, and talk about its launching next Tuesday? Yeah, so uh, like I said, it will be free on Amazon for five days starting on Tuesday the 19th. Um, You will be able to order it anywhere online where books are sold. Um, It is available at the Greenfield Library, hopefully other libraries in the area soon, and um, any local bookstore will be able to order it for you as well. Noel Janka, thank you so much for what you do sharing it with us today and with our listeners and Rebel Healing, Transforming Ourselves and the Systems That Make Us Sick. We'll be right back. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. More witnesses are expected to take the stand today in the murder trial of Kara Rantella in Hampshire Superior Court. Two police officers on the scene first have already testified, and forensic pathologist Joanne Richmond is expected to take the stand today. This is the fourth murder trial for Rintala, who is accused of killing her wife, Anna Marie Cochran Rintala, in their house in Granby in 2010. The mother of a trans student who experienced aggressive bullying at Amherst Middle School is behind the ongoing Title IX investigation to determine whether school guidance counselors were complicit in her child's suffering. Maxine Olin filed her first complaint with the school in September 2022, and after nothing happened to address the issues, she decided more needed to be done. And there was a tremendous fear and feeling of unsafety on the part of my child, and we reported bullying incidents every day that this happened over and over again. Olin said it took the superintendent's office more than a year until the bullying was addressed. 
The ongoing Title IX investigation will determine who is at fault for the gender-based discrimination happening in the school. And gates open for the Big E this morning. Today is Be a Kid for a Day, Military Appreciation Day, with $12 admission for everyone and free admission for veterans and active military. New foods this year include the Bacon Bomb, Maple Bacon Hot Dogs, Nashville Hot Chicken Pizza, and Frosting Shots. There will also be nearly 50 performances on the E stage throughout the two weeks of the fair, which runs today through October 1st. Partly sunny this morning, mostly cloudy this afternoon, breezy all day, a high of 68 to 72. Mostly cloudy and breezy tonight, overnight low of 48 to 54. Mostly cloudy, windy tomorrow as we're on the far outskirts of Hurricane Lee. Just a slight chance for a shower, a high of 70 to 74. Sun cloud mix, upper 70s on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5 and 1400. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com. Need a ride to the doctor? Tech support? Pictures hung? Looking to connect with others in the community? At Northampton Neighbors, our goal is to help seniors live independent, fulfilling lives by providing connection and support along the way. We are free of charge and offer a range of social and volunteer opportunities, as well as services for members 55 and older in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. Membership in Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. It's about engaging in place. This place, the city of Northampton. We welcome one and all to join, volunteer, or donate to Northampton Neighbors. Together, we can create the community we all want to live in, now and in the future. Find us at NorthamptonNeighbors.org or by calling 413-341-0160. Thank you. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. So on Saturday, September 23rd, rain or shine, there's a crazy thing, a parade that's going to be happening between, it's going to be given at 11 o'clock a.m. It's going to last a couple of hours, and uh, it is called, well, let me ask Mark Carpell, what is it called? So it's called the Doozy Doo Parade, and... Um, it was, uh, so the origin story of the Doozy Doo Parade is that I'm a member of Northampton Neighbors, I'm on the board, and I would watch people in the early years um, try to generate funds for the organization. Northampton Neighbors is the largest, what are called virtual villages in the United States by far, and one of only a few that does everything it does for free. We don't charge anything, so we have to figure out how to generate funds. And I would watch people 
you know, work for three months on a $4,000 grant. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they wouldn't. And I couldn't help noticing that Safe Passage was generating quite a lot of funding with the hot chocolate run. So I thought, ah, oh, could we come up with a signature event for Northampton neighbors? A hot chocolate run that doesn't involve hot chocolate or a run. Exactly. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm following this so far, kind okay. of. So, but, no, well, I, I was just saying, I, I have read that this was inspired. The Dizzy Do Parade was inspired by Pasadena's Doodah Parade. Uh, which is an alternative to the Rose Bowl Parade. Is that right? That is right. I so, so I was trying to think of what we could do, and I thought about a photograph I saw in the Daily Hampshire Gazette in 1978 that I've never forgotten. It was a photograph from Pasadena's first 1978 Duda uh, Parade. It was all investment bankers with attache cases, and they were making coordinated movements with their attache cases. So very serious and very silly, and they are the uh, Precision Briefcase Marching Drill Team. And I just, I just thought that was hilarious. And I thought, how could Northampton, Northampton... How could Northampton ever find enough briefcases to do that? No, how could they never have had a doodah parade before? And I thought, that's the ticket. We'll put them together. Okay, spend one minute for us. What's Northampton Neighbors? Hi. <laughs> I'm Diane from Northampton Neighbors. Diane Por- Porcella, which should be pronounced Porcella, right? That is absolutely correct. Okay. But I, I am one of eight children, and you can call me almost anything. Okay, and I'll, say, well, I'll okay. call you Diane. <laughs> okay. Did your parents used to go through the list, and one after the other after absolutely. the other after the other? And, and you it, were the eighth? I was the seventh child. Took a long time to get to you. Absolutely. Oh, got it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you could get away. It took so long. But uh, Northampton Neighbors uh, started here in Northampton. And as uh, Mark mentioned, we're part of an international network of villages um, that started in Beacon Hill right here in Boston. And it is the idea of, I like our tagline a lot. It's aging and engaging in place. It's about being where you are, who you are, how you like, and what you like to do. Um, And what makes you feel good um, is a lot of what Northampton Neighbors is. What Mark talks about with our programs and services is sometimes we all need a little help or what we see is we want to offer a little help. So that's what Northampton Neighbors does. It's about making connections between people. Well, the Doozy Do Parade is a fundraising event. What will those funds go to support? Our programs and services. A lot is run by volunteers, of course, but we have overhead. We have me. um, (laughs) You're worth every penny. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kelsey. And and we want to expand. We want to be able to do more. A lot of what we're starting to do now, if we were a person, we'd be going into first grade. We're six years old. And now we're old enough to play well with others. So we align a lot with other community organizations. And sometimes that involves a little bit of funding. Take a half a minute or a minute and tell us a little more specifically what are the things that Northampton Neighbors offers? Because I think a lot of people, particularly younger people, say, I, I don't quite understand this jargon about services and helping. Let's and role needing. play. Okay. Hi, I'm Greta. I live over on Myrtle, and I need to get to the doctor. Hi, Greta. I'm Diane. We'd like to help. We can help you with that. As a Northampton neighbor, what t- where do you need to go again? I need to go to my doctor on Atwood Drive. It's my internist. And it's a 10.30 appointment on Wednesday morning. All right, Greta, let's, let's get that set up. You can give me the ride? Absolutely. And it won't cost me a nickel? <laughs> Not a penny. How's that? Mark, how are we going to pay for that? <laughs> <laughs> 
What what does the Doozy Do Parade have to do with that? Well, the Doozy Do Parade is, as we said, it's a fundraiser. There are businesses that sponsor the parade, so they provide contributions. We've also this year succeeded in setting up peer-to-peer fundraising, where it's kind of thing like if you run a half marathon and you get friends and family to support you. Oh, I thought you were going to say run the other half for you. Okay. <laughs> that would be good. We don't do that. Um, so we we... We are able to attract a fair amount of uh, financial support through the parade. And I want to say one other thing about what Northampton Neighbors does. It, it helps with all the things that get harder and harder to do as you get older. And some of the people who appreciate Northampton Neighbors the most are the adult children of our members because they can't be running over to their mom or dad's house all the time to take them to the doctor or to take them to a social event they want to go to or to remove their air conditioner, and we'll do all those things. I am. Go ahead, Bill. No, These are very practical, helpful things that allow people to live at home through the rest of their lives. Important things. Yeah, they're important. You can't, you, you know, it, you got to get the air conditioner out. You got to get to do something with the lawn. You've got to get to the doctor's appointment. You've got to, there are all sorts of activities of daily living that as people age, they need some assistance with. They can live long, healthy, productive lives at home with some help. And all of this, and, and Diana, the thing that's, I think, amazing about Northampton neighbors, also emulated by Amherst neighbors, is this is a self-generated community program. It didn't come from on high. It doesn't have yeah. sort of a federal program or mandate or funding associated. This is all our community, for our community, by our community. It's really quite extraordinary. No, you're absolutely right. And it definitely has that valley vibe. I mean, we our village is different from every other village we know, but we all work together and like Amherst and East Hampton to learn from each other. But I also think that, you know, some of these things are small and important. And, you know, it can be actually kind of life-changing if your smoke detector battery has been beeping for three days and somebody does come over to replace the battery. Life-changing indeed. So I have a secret I'm going to disclose right now. Greta is not really Greta. Oh. Greta is Kelsey (laughs) Flynn. Yes. And you're only like 19 years old, so why are you interested in Northampton Neighbors? um, Because I love our community, and any time I can step up and be, uh, well, in front of a microphone, sure, uh, (laughs) I will take that opportunity. Um, Oh, that was you banging on the door, let me in, let me into the studio. (laughs) I got it, Kelsey. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, and having seen the benefit of Northampton Neighbors, I live with my mother-in-law, who's a member of Northampton Neighbors, and uh, I think everyone benefits from, like you're saying, everyone, that they're, like, children of the adults, the adults, like, it's, we're all better when we all feel care, cared for, and um, I think we all live longer, happier lives when, as the grown-up, you get to stay where you think of as home. Yeah. Let's, can we go back to the Doozy Do Parade? Because sure. I've been in it. I, I, it didn't destroy it. No. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it's great fun. Let's hear about the Doozy Do Parade. So, um, yeah, it's, the idea is for it to be lighthearted, unconventional. Um, uh, I'll, maybe I'll talk about some of the things that people would see in the parade this year. Okay. All right. So you will see the Mighty Methuselahs, who are the over 90-year-old members of the Young at Heart Chorus, who will be in three uh, vintage convertibles. But because it's partly an intergenerational mix, mix, mixer, 
You'll also see a Boy Scout troop, a Girl Scout troop. You'll see girls from Girls, Inc. You'll see kids from the Chinese... Girls, Inc., the Holyoke program? Yes, mm -hmm. Holyoke. Uh, children from the Chinese Emergent School and from a dance school in East Hampton. And the Northampton High School marching band. The whole band will be in the parade. That was Greta. <laughs> <laughs> You never um, know when she's going to pop up. Uh, th there is more music this year. We'll, in addition to those folks, we'll have um, the Myrtle Street Klezmer Band, which will be there together with the Parlor Room, uh, Afrofusion, which is a father-son um, drumming group, and they may have a couple of friends with them. We also have uh, a couple of dance groups this year, and one of them is a, a fabulous flash dance, flash mob dance group all over 60, called Been Around, Still Around. So, oh, oh, stop there one second. I thought you just said a flash mob dance troupe all over 60. Did I hear that correctly? You heard that correct. I'm still having trouble processing it, but okay, I got it. Yes. Okay, and this is all as part of a parade. This is all part of the parade. That exactly. goes from where to where? It starts on Hawley Street at 33 Hawley, steps off at 11 a.m., and it will end up, with a very short gathering in Pulaski Park at the uh, end of the uh, day. So down Hallway Street, take a left, go up Main Street and go to Pulaski Park, exactly. and you can just hang out on Main Street and watch the world go by. Exactly right. What is, uh, Kelsey, what, yes. what is a gargoyle mascot? Oh, well, I mean, everyone should have one, but <laughs> we are the only ones who really ha ha have one in uh, well, concrete. I mean, that's what it is. I'm looking at Diane because it was your. It's like kind of manifested from um, your world, but it's it's from the old days. It's like one of the original, like '80s Northampton neighbors from the '80s. Absolutely, used to sit atop the Words and Pictures Museum. Yeah, which um, is now like Firefly Salon or something. It's like from right like in the that. middle of town, but now lives in an undisclosed location in Florence. <laughs> so like if, all those if, Ann August tiles yeah. that also live somewhere yeah. in this yeah. valley. And <laughs> if people want to get a selfie. Oh, with yeah. the gargoyle uh, mascot, where's that going to happen? Uh, in the park, all around. And you can stop Gertrude, that's her name, anywhere you like. Right, she's not all on a cart. I mean, she, there's Gertrude on the cart, and then there's Gertrude kind of yeah, who walks along. Gertrude on the cart is otherwise engaged oh, uh, okay. this time, but the walking gargoyle is, is gonna be will be cruising. Up. And also, you know, I'll just mention, too, in addition to all the great groups that Mark mentioned, we welcome all of our Northampton neighbors and their neighbors, too. If you want to watch with us, just come down to Holly Street um, on the morning of the parade. We'd love to have you behind the banner. I'm still stuck on the gargoyle. Okay. So let me <laughs> let me say a word about. Oh no, go ahead. Okay. Okay, and it seems to thirty me seconds. Slightly Bill, get thirty seconds. Oxymoronic. A walking gargoyle. Gargoyles don't walk. Help me. So, okay, and also uh, just to be fair, I'm going to step in here. It's not even really a gargoyle. It's, 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 it's actually a grotesque because water is not spouting out of its mouth. I, I learned that oh, last year. Oh, is that a truly. definition of it? That's a requirement? Yeah, if you're a gargoyle? it is a, a gargoyle must spew. And if oh, it doesn't, so it's like, the technical name is grotesque? Yes. Seriously. It's grotesque? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really? That's maybe awesome. maybe that's where we get the word gargoyle. And, right. And, uh, and I will uh, say that my, my cats find it terrifying when... <laughs> So, so more, you're, you're telling us don't bring your cats to <laughs> Main Street to watch the parade. That's the that's the take home lesson from this segment of the show. So one of the things that the parade is intended to be, it's intended to be a fundraiser to spread the word about Northampton neighbors, to be an intergenerational mixer, to challenge some conceptions about older people. 
Um, but it's also meant to be a love letter to the city of Northampton. So when we were first thinking of it, I thought, I want anything that's really Northampton identified. And I happened to know where the actual gargoyle that used to sit on top of Main Street lived. And so last year, we had the pedal people pulling that gargoyle through the parade. The gargoyle has retired. She's become a big celebrity. She's, <laughs> she's outgrown us. She's too big for us. She's not interested. She's retired. The gargoyle is on Social Security and Medicare. That's what you're telling us? That's what she... And Only she, in Northampton. She may get services from Northampton. Area. She's really good. But so now we have our gargoyle mascot, which was created by George Creeble and Claire Frierson, and it will be wandering along Main Street. We are uh, We're going to continue our conversation with Mark Carpell. Kelsey Flynn and Diane Porcella. And when we come back, uh, and we're talking about the parade, the Doozy Doo Parade, it's going to happen on September 23rd. It's going to launch at 11 a.m. on Holly Street. We'll talk more about that. But uh, I guess I'm going to have a question that I really need the answer to, which is we're talking about really serious services that people, aging people, really rely upon that really are sometimes life-saving kind of services. At the same time, we're talking about having fun in the in, in, in the manner of raising money so that those services could be provided. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe, and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Buy a mattress online? There are at least 100 websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than an online video and some questionable reviews to know what it actually feels like? At Talon Furniture, we mostly sell therapeutic mattresses, not Tempur-Pedic. Don't want to mislead you. Therapeutic. Made in Brockton by fellow Red Sox fans. If you like eating local, try sleeping local. Therapeutic mattresses are clean, no toxic off-gassing. Come to Talon and lay down on a Therapeutic. See what it feels like. You can have all the time you need. And we don't roll it up like a burrito, stuff it in a box, and cram it in your car. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. We actually deliver your new mattress and set it up. Talon Furniture, a real store, just down the hill from Amherst College. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we're back talking about not only a fun but important event, which is Northampton Neighbors Doozy Doo Parade, which is going to be held on Saturday, September 23rd, rain or shine. It's going to begin at 11 a.m. It's going to last a couple of hours, and it's really interesting. And I wanted to ask um, you, uh, Mark, 
uh, Mark Carpell, if, uh, what other groups, I, I guess some groups going to prevent present floats or what? Uh, yeah, there'll be a lot of different groups. Uh, there'll be a lot of different groups. There are a number of nonprofits in the parade, Highland Valley Elder Services, Cancer Connection. Uh, Christopher Heights is going to have a, um, a van with their residents that I believe will their theme will be under the sea, uh, Lathrop community, but there will also be um, Mountain River Tycho Drummers, the city, uh, a group of city councilors will be in the parade. They will be the city clown slurs. <laughs> um, That'll be a draw. The, <laughs> the mayor will be in the parade. Uh, Senator Comerford will be in the parade. Representative Samadosa, uh, Sabadosa will be in the parade. Lord Russ, um, who is the owner of Green Groomers, a dog grooming business, will be in the parade as uh, Elvis. Lord singing. Russ owns a dog grooming service. Oh, yes, that, he how does. I did. On Holy Street, I believe. I, 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 on I, Holy Street. I, I know Gord Russ, I, and I know the service. I didn't know they were connected. Yes. Well, He's that, an individual of many talents. Wow. One of them is as an exceptional dog groomer, and well, it's such a loving one. Your dog <laughs> wants to go to Green Groomer. Oh, good. We're going to, we're going to <laughs> see Gord Russ. Is he going to sing to me while I'm in my cage? I mean, that sort dog. of thing. Yeah. Yeah, your dog. Oh, oh, now he, oh, I see you're role playing as. Yes, the dog. I was the dog. I okay. see. Yeah. Um, well, what's well, really interesting here is when we're talking about all these dignitaries, it's amazing how many careers you're going to ruin in just a two hour <laughs> period. Single parade. That's our goal. Uh, we also have the Shiros. That's a group that was in the parade last year. It's a group of women who come dressed as their female heroes. And uh, I think and it's Mark, a great group. I'm going to add that historic Northampton yeah. will be. Uh, in the parade, but they're not telling us how. They're going to be dressed as a barn. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the shepherds oh, who have the barn. Good, That's it, their barn. It's a big mystery even to us. That's exciting. And if it's Laurie Sanders and Betty question, Sharp. Is it named after like people who took care of sheep and I got a no dummy. It's named after people who are called shepherds. Yeah. Oh, and I want to be sure to mention that... Um, uh, Northampton Senior Center is going to be in the parade, and the Northampton School Committee is going to be in the parade again this year. Well, I think Forbes is going to be in the parade. Forbes is definitely going to be in the parade. And, and yeah. Forbes is coming. All Out Adventures. And Last year, they, they oh, had, really? I don't know how many, just a caravan of assistive bikes. It was glorious. Yeah, I saw Karen Foster of All Out Adventure yesterday to confirm their, their participation, and, and she's expecting an, a fleet of vehicles again. Yeah. So that should be awesome. Is it too late to say you want to be a, in the parade as no, a group? No, it's not too late. What do people do to uh, be in this parade? They would email our parade address, which is NN, uh, for Northampton Neighbors, NNDoozyDo at Gmail. How do you spell doozy do? D-O-O-Z-Y-D-O. If you just go to Northampton Neighbors, do you have a sporting chance of getting to this? Yes. Okay. Well, you even have a website for the Doozy Do. We have a website, which is doozydo.org. That's amazing that was still available in 2022 <laughs> when you started it. I would think all URLs are taken. So, Kelsey, are, are you marching? I am a grandish marshal because I don't <laughs> want to ever uh, uh, take it's the It's kind title. of a, a sort yeah. of sort of grandish grand marshal is a I, grandish marshal? I eschew uh, titles of all sorts. Yes. And so if you're – I have to have one. Uh, ish makes it a little more comfortable. Bill, the last time I saw Kelsey Flynn was uh, at another fundraiser. She was a greeter as you entered the door at this fundraiser, and she put a microphone in my mouth and said – 
what are you, who are you wearing? Who that, are you wearing? Yeah, it was the had? red carpet. <laughs> it's a required question, Buzz. And uh, Do you remember my answer? I do. You said whatever my wife tells me. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a very lauded uh, designer that people should know about. Um, uh, so I'm going to be in the lead vehicle, which of course has to be a convertible, which I, I love. I've literally only been in a convertible. This will be my third time in my life. I'm a sheltered child from suburban New Jersey. And um, and I'm going to be with other grandish marshals who people would know. Other grandish marshals whose names you might want to drop? I Or just say because I love them. <laughs> I don't drop names. Uh, I'm going to be there with my beloved friend Dennis Lee, who used to sit at this microphone, I think. Even this one that I'm even speaking into. Uh, so Dennis Lee, who's been a Valley Voice for literally decades... And uh, another newcomer to the radio scene, um, I hope people will really embrace him. I think he's got a lot to give. Monty Belmonte. Oh, uh, haven't heard of him. Who? I know. He's, he's really, you're going to hear him. You're going to hear about him. Uh, the more he's, he's a grand, there, Monty's a grandish grand marshal as well. So the three of us will be in the convertible to kick off the parade. And are you going to wave at us like the like oh, yeah. the Queen Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth wave the sort of Well, that's not what you're doing as you're like <laughs> he's got an open palm people and it looks like Sorry. it's like Sorry. on the I, I wish, that, like, I, that's why the back I'm of the car. That, that's the only reason I wasn't yeah. invited to be a grandish marshal. I can't do the Queen Elizabeth wave. <laughs> no, uh, he, did, he did a he did a King Charles wave. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was embarrassing. That's all you have to know. It was embarrassing. Fortunately, uh, it's radio. So we're going to uh yeah, we'll wave we'll yell at people and then we're gonna um get to uh city hall where we will climb out of the um convertible and then provide some play-by-play -play as the parade goes by and then we'll join everybody for the post-parade party at pulaski it's so great mark carpell one more time when's it going to be where's it going to start what's the route and should people stay on main go to yeah, main street i mean street. don't yeah. go don't, yeah. go, to, yeah. don't go to 33 hall go to main street yeah. Yeah. anywhere on main street is the best place to watch it anywhere on main street it's it's saturday next week the 23rd it steps off at 11 a.m and it will probably end somewhere around 12.30, give or take a half an hour. And Mark, do we have the whole street this we year? We have the whole of Main Street. Oh Last boy, year we, we don't just... have to stay to one side nope. to keep out of we the have, oncoming traffic. We have the whole street this year. You know, We're it, growing up. It's perfect. It's an important uh, fundraiser for an important organization, and it's fundraiser. It's going to be on September 23rd, the Doozy Doo Parade. Thank you all for joining us today. Thanks for having Thank us. You. What a treat. Dream about going up there, but that is a big mistake. Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things around you. What more did you look in for? 1.3 million meals provided to over 8,500 people in Franklin and Hampshire counties. The Amherst Survival Center, making sure our neighbors have the food they need. Join the Amherst Survival Center's Hike for Hunger. Sign up now, set a fundraising goal, and come October, hit the trails. Ask friends and family to support your goal and support the Amherst Survival Center's food and nutrition programs. Hike Mount Toby, explore Buffum Falls, hike wherever you like. Bring your people, bring your pup. Sign up at Hike for Hunger at the Amherst Survival Center website. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't, 
go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 WHMP Northampton WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls WHMP.com A Northampton Radio Group station. It's a